My short stories are like soft shadows I have set out in the world, faint footprints I have left. I remember exactly where I set down each and every one of them and how I felt when I did. Short stories are like guideposts to my heart. Haruki Murakami Welcome to Bookish, a literary podcast. I'm Paul, and we've come to the end of our look at Banned Books Week, as we've come to the end of Banned Books Week itself. And we're going to wrap up, today being Saturday, with a short story. Now, this story itself was not banned, but the author had his most famous work banned multiple times. Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude has been banned in countries from Russia to Iran to Kuwait because of problems with morals, quote-unquote. But he also had it banned in his home country of Colombia because of explicit sex scenes and coarse language. Now, in Colombia, this ban was overturned. There was light editing in Russia that has been supposedly corrected. In Iran and Kuwait, it's still completely banned. So for today's short story Saturday, to wrap up Banned Books Week, we're going to look at his story, The Ghosts of August, because it's also October and Halloween's coming. I hope you enjoy it. The Ghosts of August by Gabriel Garcia Marquez We reached Arezzo a little before noon, and spent more than two hours looking for the Renaissance castle that the Venezuelan writer Miguel Otero Silva had bought in that idyllic corner of the Tuscan countryside. It was a burning, bustling Sunday in early August, and it was not easy to find anyone who knew anything in the streets teeming with tourists. After many useless attempts, we went back to the car and left the city by a road lined with cypresses, but without any signs and an old woman tending geese told us with precision where the castle was located. Before saying goodbye, she asked us if we planned to sleep there, and we replied that we were going only for lunch, which was our original intention. That's just as well, she said, because the house is haunted. My wife and I, who do not believe in midday phantoms, laughed at her credulity, but our two sons, nine and seven years old, were overjoyed at the idea of meeting a ghost in the flesh. Miguel Otero Silva, who was a splendid host and refined gourmet, as well as a good writer, had an unforgettable lunch waiting for us. Because we arrived late, we did not have time to see the inside of the castle before sitting down at the table, but there was nothing frightening about its external appearance, and any uneasiness was dissipated by our view of the entire city from the flower-covered terrace where we ate lunch. It was difficult to believe that so many men of lasting genius had been born on that hill crowded with houses with barely enough room for 90,000 people. Miguel Otero Silva, however, said with his Caribbean humor that none of them was the most renowned native of Arezzo. 
The greatest of all, he declared, was Ludovico. Just like that, with no family names, Ludovico, the great patron of the arts and of war, who had built this castle of his affliction, and about whom Miguel spoke all during lunch. He told us of Ludovico's immense power, his troubled love, his dreadful death. He told us how it was that in a moment of heart's madness, he stabbed his lady in the bed where they had just made love, turned his ferocious fighting dogs on himself, and was torn to pieces. He assured us in all seriousness that after midnight, the ghost of Ludovico walked the dark of the house, trying to find peace in his purgatory of love. The castle really was immense and gloomy, but in the light of day, with a full stomach and a contented heart, Miguel's tale seemed only another of the many diversions with which he entertained his guests. After our siesta, we walked without foreboding through the 82 rooms that had undergone all kinds of alterations by a succession of owners. Miguel had renovated the entire first floor and built a modern bedroom with marble floors, a sauna, and exercise equipment, as well as a terrace covered with brilliant flowers where we had eaten lunch. The second story, the one most used over the centuries, consisted of characterless rooms with furnishings from different periods which had been abandoned to their fate. But on the top floor we saw a room, preserved intact, that time had forgotten to visit, the bedchamber of Ludovico. The moment was magical. There stood the bed, its curtains embroidered in gold thread, the bedspread and its prodigies of passementerie still stiff with the dried blood of his sacrificed lover. There was the fireplace with its icy ashes and its last log turned to stone, the armoire with its weapons primed, and, in a gold frame, the oil portrait of the pensive knight painted by some Florentine master who did not have the good fortune to survive his time. What affected me most, however, was the unexplainable scent of fresh strawberries that hung over the entire bedroom. The days of summer are long and unhurried in Tuscany, and the horizon stays in its place until nine at night. When we finished walking through the castle, it was after five, but Miguel insisted on taking us to see the frescoes by Piero della Francesca in the church of San Francesco. Then we lingered over coffee beneath the arbors on the square, and when we came back for our suitcases, we found a meal waiting for us, and so we stayed for supper. While we ate under a mauve sky with a single star, the boys took flashlights from the kitchen and set out to explore the darkness of the upper floors. From the table, we could hear the gallop of wild horses on the stairs, the lamenting doors, the joyous shouts calling for Ludovico in the gloomy rooms. They were the ones who had had the wicked idea of sleeping there. A delighted Miguel Otero Silva supported them, and we did not have the social courage to tell them no. Contrary to what I had feared, we slept very well, my wife and I, in a first floor bedroom and the children in one adjoining ours. Both rooms had been modernized and there was nothing gloomy about them. As I waited for sleep, I counted the 12 insomniac strokes of the pendulum clock in the drawing room and I remembered the fearsome warning of the woman tending geese. But we were so tired that we soon fell into a dense, unbroken slumber and I woke after seven to a splendid sun shining through the climbing vines at the window. Beside me 
my wife sailed the calm sea of the innocent. What foolishness, I said to myself, to still believe in ghosts in this day and age. Only then was I shaken by the scent of fresh strawberries, and I saw the fireplace with its cold ashes and its final log turned to stone, and the portrait of the melancholy knight in the gold frame looking at us over a distance of three centuries. For we were not in the first floor bedroom where we had fallen asleep the night before, but in the bedchamber of Ludovico, under the canopy and the dusty curtains and the sheets soaked with still warm blood of his accursed bed. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Bookish. I hope you're finding it both enlightening and entertaining. If you are, I hope you'll consider supporting the podcast. We have a Patreon page where you can support us at www.patreon.com forward slash bookish podcast. And you can also support us at the support this podcast link on the various platforms that you listen on. It'll go a long way towards helping us continue to provide new episodes and hopefully get to the point where we'll be totally ad-free. So I thank you for your support.